Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship today, first Sunday of 2019. Um, you may notice that you, you received as a handout the Christmas Eve service um, handout. It's um, because we just couldn't let go of Christmas. Okay? Um, now, actually, there was a technical glitch that went on in the office, and so we just didn't get the new ones ordered in time. But um, the new ones next week will have on the um, handout, Blindsided, that's the name of the new sermon series, that we're going to be looking at through January and part of February. And um, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about the preparation of what this series is really about, and then we'll dive into the first topic. Um, in 1964, uh, Joe Frazier was the um, gold medalist in the Olympics for heavyweight boxing, and he went on to become the um, boxing champion, heavyweight boxing champion. And he had many, many interviews, very famous guy. And somebody asked him one day, you know, what was the hardest punch to take? And Frazier said, the one you don't see coming. That's the hardest punch to take, right? And that's kind of where this whole series of blindsided is going. Most of us can take the punches of life that we just sort of expect, right? I mean, there's always going to be bills. There's always going to be house payments. There's always going to be things that break down. Your car's going to break down. My 2000 Toyota Echo, which has been so reliable, I just put $700 into a car that's only worth 1000 You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing this? Whatever, I ended up doing it, okay? But the point is, is that most of us have some level of preparation for life saying, you know, stuff's going to happen that we don't expect it. On the other hand, there are some things that completely blindside us. We just didn't see it coming. Like a boyfriend breakup. Or a spouse walking out after 20 years. Or your mom or dad get a job in another city and suddenly you're, you're, you find yourself moving and you're like, well, wait a minute, what, what about my friends? Uh, the loss of a job. Um, here's one that a lot of people experience. Your marriage is harder than what you thought it would be when you got married. A constant theme that I hear is, we're smart people. We love each other. How can it be that our marriage is harder than what we thought it would be? Well, it's because you have two broken people living 24-7 together. That's chaos ready to happen right there. And for some of you, it extends into your kids, right? Some of you are like, oh, man, I never thought raising kids would be this hard. It doesn't mean it's not good. It does mean it's just harder than what you thought it would be. Those are the kinds of experiences that we have that blindside us. We just have an expectation that we think life is going to go one way and it doesn't happen like that, and we're kind of left with, whoa, didn't see that coming. Now, here's what's really interesting. Sometimes there are events that do not blindside us, but rather attitudes and a mentality that we develop through the years 
that becomes so subtle to us that we don't even realize that our thinking has changed. And actually, that's where this series is. I want to talk in the next seven weeks, including today, about seven things that either happen to us or ways that we think that blindsight us. So let me give you the seven. Cynicism. Compromise. Disconnection. Irrelevance. Burnout. Pride. And emptiness. Now here's what I know. Every single one of us is going to experience each of those things, but I bet you, you never expected you would. Nobody ever expects to burn out. You don't wake up one day and say, I want to live my life in such a way that I want to burn out by I'm 32 years old, and I just want to be numb for the rest of my life. Nobody thinks like that. And yet, pretty high chance, somewhere in the course of your life, you're going to experience burnout. Well, what do you do when that happens? This morning, I want to talk to you on the subject of cynicism. Cynicism. Chances are you didn't write in your college yearbook or your high school yearbook, um, hey, my goal in life is to become the most cynical person ever. You know, I want to be a wet blanket wherever I go. I want to look at the dark side of life, and I want to make my family life miserable because I'm a negative person. I mean, nobody ever thinks like that, right? And yet, through the years, you may find yourself becoming a little bit more cynical. So what is cynicism? It is an attitude of suspicion where you believe the future is bleak and that people are only acting out of their own self-interest. That's what cynicism is. Synonyms of cynicism, skepticism, distrust, suspicion, pessimism, disenchantment, and I love this one, world weariness. Okay, everybody stand. We're going to turn in our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes is the cynic's guide to the universe. Okay? Church history, rabbis think that Solomon was the one who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Nobody's really sure 100%, but i got to tell you, whoever wrote this book, pretty cynical guy. Okay? So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I think I'm going to do it all. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Can you, are you with me? If, you're, if your legs get weary, you can just, you know, sit down. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the waters return again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. 
everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, now here's something new, but actually it's old because nothing is ever truly new. We do not remember what happened in the past and in the future generations. No one will remember what we are doing. I don't know, anybody need to take a shower after that? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is up with the writer of Ecclesiastes? Let's bow our heads. Father, I have never, ever heard a sermon on this topic. I've never heard it preached. I've never preached it before, ever. But I think we are living in an age when cynicism is on the rise. And if there's any group of people that should be the opposite of cynical, it's your people. So would you help us today to not only grasp this truth from Ecclesiastes, but to do something about it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Okay, so what's up with the writer of Ecclesiastes? I'll just tell you what's up. You're hearing the heart of a man who has grown cynical, negative, and hopeless for the future. Nobody starts off being cynical. Nobody says, I want to be cynical. It's just one of those things in life that eventually you drift into. And it blindsides you. Every once in a while you catch yourself and you hear what's going through your mind and you hear what comes out of your mouth and you go, whoa, that's a little dark. Most of us are not the 12-year-old versions of who we thought we would be as we grow older. So what has happened? How did the writer of Ecclesiastes, and more importantly, how do people today become cynical? There's three things in this scripture I want to point out and then three ways to get out of cynicism, okay? So let's take a look at the three things from this scripture of how people become cynical. The first is increased knowledge and experience, right? The longer you live, increased knowledge and experience. Look at verses 17 and 18. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like the chasing of the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. Listen to this. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. You would think that the more you know, the happier you'd be. But what the writer of Ecclesiastes found out is, the more you know, the more sorrow you have. You ever heard the phrase, ignorance is bliss? Um, that's sort of true, right? I mean, on, on a certain level, ignorance is bliss. Have you ever known something about someone that you wish you could unknow? You had a piece of data that you didn't have before, and now that you know it, it's stuck in your brain. And every time you see this person, you're like, oh, man. Some of you 
and me have watched wonderful, godly people give in to temptation and fall. And it has so rocked our world that we have said to ourselves, is anybody really righteous? Christianity Today just published an article on how pastors are the seventh most respected profession. We are at the lowest level in the history of Gallup. And it's primarily because of the sex scandals in the Catholic Church and even within the Protestant Church, some sex scandals that have come up recently. And I say to myself, man, it's no wonder people have a problem with the church sometimes, right? Some of you know the profound pain of divorce, and it's left you feeling, is there anybody really safe that I can entrust my heart to? Some of you have been hurt by Christians who didn't act very Christ-like. And you're left feeling a little jaded saying, I don't know if I can ever trust my heart to somebody else. In other words, your life experiences have deeply shaped you, and for some of you, you have grown skeptical and jaded and cynical. That's the first way that people become cynical. Increased knowledge and experience. Number two, being wounded, hurt, or disappointed. Verse 11, we don't remember what's happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. Can you feel the disappointment in the writer of Ecclesiastes when he says this? No one will remember what we are doing now. Really? We are, right at this moment, we are remembering what you did and what you wrote. There is nothing like a big disappointment to make you cynical. Remember Thomas, one of the disciples? You know, John chapter 20, verse 20. Some of the disciples come back, they're meeting with the rest of the disciples, and some of them said, you know, we have seen the Lord, you know, the road to Emmaus, you know, the two disciples, we have seen the Lord, the Lord is alive, he's risen from the dead, and guess what Doubting Thomas says? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. Hey, there's a lot of pain in those words, right? What Thomas is saying is, I was bamboozled. I mean, for three years, I gave my life away to Jesus, and I thought he was the one. And I saw him die. Nobody's going to mess me over again. And you feel Thomas's heart pull back. Some of you have experienced deep, disappointment and deep pain and deep woundedness 
And some of it is just the nature of life. And some of it, you may have had unrealistic expectations about life. And for some of you, though, life has thrown you some massive curveballs and you've got hit in the head with a baseball. And you're on the ground and you've got this huge welt. And you're like, man, what was that about? And you take a step back and you say, I don't know. I'm never putting myself out there again. Ironically, the people that are most likely to be cynical are former optimists and idealists. Those who started out with the most hope about the future. And then life happened. For many people who have grown cynical, actually there's a little boy or a little girl on the inside that just wanted to love and just wanted to be loved, just wanted to do the right thing in life, and life has hit them so hard. Now they're like, I don't know, whatever. Can you hear the cynicism in the phrase, whatever? I don't care. Three, generalizing. Applying one situation to all situations, verses 9 and 10. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. You hear my exaggeration? All, nothing, truly, ever. Solomon's experience taught him to make sweeping generalizations, to apply to all situations one situation that happened to him. With age and experience, we become good at seeing patterns, right? I mean, you know, the older you get, the more you begin to see, well, you know, there are certain types of people in life, and you can pretty much see how things are going to be played out. And, you know, there's something positive about that, unless you have a cynical spirit. Because if you have a cynical spirit, you end up becoming this wet blanket wherever you go, saying, I knew that happened. I knew it was coming. I knew they wouldn't step up. I knew he'd say that. A woman is deeply hurt by a few men that she has trusted. So she generalizes and believes that all men are untrustworthy. You are stabbed in the back by your best friend. It is so painful that you generalize and decide that you don't need friends anymore. And so you just kind of go through life being nice, but never letting anybody in. You were hurt by a church some years back, so you generalize and decide that all churches are filled with hypocrites, and you stop going. And the list goes on and on and on. Now, about now, some of you may be thinking, uh, okay, so I'm a little jaded, I'm a little cynical, you know, so what? What's the big deal about that? Well, it's a big deal for two reasons. The first is, have you noticed that as you get older, you become a concentrated version of what you were? Little heads up there. Just telling you. Okay, what does this mean? That means the things that you struggle with in your 20s, 30s, 40s, even maybe your 50s, 
if you're not careful and you don't deal with these things, you become the concentrated version of yourself in your 70s, 80s, and 90s. If you're a worrier in your 20s and 30s, oh man. Your 70s, 80s, and 90s, big problem. You got a problem with greed, you're a little too money focused in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, guess what? You'll live your life in fear in your 70s, 80s, and 90s. You'll never have enough. You become, I become, the concentrated version of ourself. And so think about this. If you don't deal with the issue of cynicism now, very few people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, very, very few people are balanced. You either become super sweet, kind, and loving, or you become difficult, jaded, cynical. And you're going to have to make a decision because the way you live right now is the more concentrated version of who you will be. There's a second reason why we ought to take this subject seriously, and that is you cannot become the kind of Christ follower you want to be and Christ wants you to be and still be cynical. It's impossible. In order for you to be Christ-like, you have to believe in people. And you have to think the best of people. And you can't do that if you're skeptical. Okay? So, let's turn a corner. How do you overcome cynicism? Three things. There's three causes of cynicism. There's probably a lot more. But the writer of Ecclesiastes, whether he meant to or not, opened up his soul to us. And we see in his heart, where he was. There's three ways to get out of it. The first is, you got to treat it for what it is. Sin. 1 John 1, 9 is the bar of soap of cleansing verse in the Bible. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. You know what wickedness is in the Bible? Some of you remember, I gave the definition of wickedness like three months ago in a sermon. I always thought the definition of wickedness in the Bible was like really big sins. You know, murder, rape, embezzlement. You know what the definition of wickedness is in the Bible? Forgetting God. Leaving God out of the equation. That is profoundly wicked. In the sight of God. It is not God's will for you or me to be cynical, jaded, or negative. Because Christians are called to be the most hope-filled, faith-filled, positive people on the planet, regardless of your personality. There's got to be somebody sitting here thinking, well, I don't know, I'm melancholy people. You know, they're just kind of like deeply feeling people, and they kind of look on the dark side of life. You know, I get that, I understand, but you're going to have to take your melancholy personality, and you're still going to have to turn it around and say, I've got to be a positive person in the middle of all this. We must, we, the reason why it's a sin is because we have the most reason to be joyful and optimistic of anyone because of who Jesus is, 
what Jesus has done for us and where we're going. Cynicism, fundamentally, is a heart issue. And it means that you and I, if we yield to cynicism, have not guarded our hearts and we've allowed Satan to get a foothold in our lives. Your heart must be cleansed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that that happens is to not justify it, not rationalize it, just call it for what it is and say, it's a sin. And I repent of my cynical heart, just like I would repent of anything else. Number two, I love this one. Become a child. Matthew 18, 2 through 4, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Have you noticed that children do not have a cynical bone in their body? They are filled with wonder, curiosity, and innocence. They ask a lot of why questions, and they ask a lot of why not questions. They dream. They are open. They inherently trust. Children need to be taught not to trust. They do not overcomplicate life. Our, young, our, our oldest daughter, when she was living at home, she must have been 11, 12 years old, she figured out that I was a minister and that every Easter I'm preaching on the resurrection of Jesus. And one day she said to me, so can you explain the resurrection to me? And so I went into great detail about how Jesus died for our sins and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised him from the dead. And so she looked at me and said, so what you're saying is, Jesus undied. Yeah, pretty much, that's it. Okay, thank you, that was good enough for her. This is what Jesus is getting at in these verses about becoming like a little child. He's saying this, spend more time thinking Kids spend a lot of time thinking. That's why they ask so many why and why not questions. So if you were to come to our house right now, up on our granite countertop are two large jars, each filled with vinegar with two eggs in them. And for the past 48 hours, because our grandson Noah is with us, he's seven years old, and so he's sitting with Mimi today somewhere, did you know that we're doing, well, Mimi loves to do experiments with the kids, and so we have these two eggs that are sitting in vinegar for the last 48 hours, and did you know that vinegar eats away at the shell of an egg, and it turns completely um, clear, translucent, while at the same time, vinegar turns the white of the egg into a little bit of a harder surface. So that basically, after 48 hours or 72 hours, you can take an egg out of the vinegar that it's been sitting in, and you can basically bounce it. Well, I think that's the coolest thing. 
I didn't know that. But, you know, that's Mimi, right? And so, we, so Noah, he's been with us all weekend, so we just keep looking. Is it turning yet? We love that. The older we get, the less curious we become. And the mark of a growing person is the mark of asking more questions and frankly having less answers. You always know that you're talking to a cynical person when they have an answer for everything. That means they haven't been thinking. Two, to be like a little child means don't overcomplicate your walk with Jesus. He loves you, you love him, you'll figure it out. Stop trying to overcomplicate things. I get you've got your entire life to figure out spiritual disciplines and figure out what it means to have your devotions and develop a deep prayer life and how to have you know, Christ really create his life inside of you and you to be more Christ-like. You've got your entire life. Satan drives, the Spirit leads. Satan drives, the Spirit leads. Stop trying to overcomplicate things. You love Jesus, he loves you. You've got a whole lifetime to figure it out. And oh, by the way, you have all of eternity to try to figure it out. Here's what it really means to be more childlike. To be more trusting of people and God. Will people hurt you? Will people let you down? Absolutely. Will your spouse let you down? Absolutely. Will people at work let you down? Absolutely. Will people in the church let you down? Absolutely. You know what the church is, right? The church is a bunch of imperfect people who are following a perfect Savior. And we're all just trying to figure it out. And we are the redeemed. We are called saints in the Bible. But the reality is is that we're all wounded and we're all broken. And here is the mind-blowing thought. We walk around saying, oh, I hope nobody hurts me. Do you realize you're hurting people? I don't want to be let down. Do you realize you're letting down people? Yes, you. Right? Because it's the nature of life because nobody's actually perfect. You don't mean to let people down. You don't mean to hurt people. But the reality is, is you do. And you don't even know it most of the time. It wasn't here, it was in another environment, but I walked, I was in another church, and I walked down the hallway one day, and I walked by someone, and I was preoccupied. And that person came to me later and said, I forgive you for not talking to me. What? I, I I didn't, I didn't even... I mean, I'm sorry that you felt like you had to tell me that you forgive me, but I didn't even know. Right? I mean, we've all had those experiences. It is far better to trust people and be hurt than it is to close off your heart and not allow anybody in. Three, reconnect with Christ. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were 
still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So now we can rejoice in this wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I had a new thought this week. If God were cynical, he never would have sent Jesus. But God is a lover, and he is filled with hope that people can really change. The cross is about humanity throwing the worst at God, hatred, abuse, ridicule, rejection, and death, and God turning it around into love and life. And because Jesus sees everything about you, your sin, your pride, your stubbornness, your doubts, your inconsistency, your fear, your worry, and all the good stuff about you too. And he still loves you. That means that your past does not have to be your future, and your sins are never the final word, but hope is. Some of you are discouraged this morning, and the legitimate question is, why? You have a Savior who loves you in spite of yourself. You have a community of people around you that are just trying to figure it out just like you are, but we're all on the way. And can it be that the biggest issue with cynicism has nothing to do with cynicism? It has to do with needing to fall in love with a Savior who loves you unconditionally, even though He knows everything about us. And to wake up to the wonder of that all over again. The cure for cynicism is a fresh encounter with the Savior. Now I have to tell you, I have three more minutes and then we're finished. So two things have been running through my mind at this very moment as I've been thinking about the message. The first is, in 31 years of pastoring, This is the message that has most deeply cut my own heart. I mean, I preach lots of messages, and to be honest with you, um, I'm not sure I've ever done this here, but sometimes I preach the message and then had to go to the altar when I've given an altar call. That's embarrassing, right? But in 31 years... This message has cut me to the core more than any other message I've ever preached. I'm not really sure why. But somewhere along the way, you know, you just begin to prejudge people. Ah, you know, this will probably happen. And, and God has been speaking to me about my own heart and saying, Mark, be like a little child in the way that you interact with people. Be less judgmental. Be more accepting. Be more forgiving. Be more open. Be more transparent. 
And I know I, I just have to figure that out myself, to be honest with you. But here's what I, here's what I really think. I think if, if this is something that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me about, I think that the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you about that too. You know, just by the nature of life, through life experience, through the bumps and bruises of life, there's a tendency to just take a step back and to go, yeah, whatever. And to close off little bits of your heart. You can't be all that God wants you to be by closing off little parts of your heart. Because eventually, your whole heart ends up being closed off. So then, the second thing I've been thinking is, how do you close a service like this? I mean, all the cynical people, please stand up and come forward. You know what I'm saying? Like, all those who have bitter hearts, I don't have a bitter heart, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, all those who this message has struck, stand up because we'd like to shame you and pray over you at the same time. I mean, who does that, right? So I'm kind of left with, I'm not exactly sure how to end this message other than to say, I just know I'm in need of this. And I think that sometimes the messages that preachers preach that make the most impact on them are really messages that people need to hear more than anything else. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm not calling you out. Okay? Don't get skeptical. Don't go negative. But if this topic has stirred something in your heart, and you know that your heart has grown cynical or jaded, one of the things you're going to have to ask is, how did it get there? Is it through a deep wound? Is it through a deep disappointment? Is it because of the life experiences, unrealistic expectations? You know, what, what, why did you get here? And then the second thing you need to do is to just say, okay, I'm just calling it for what it is. It is not the pathway of Christ-likeness. I can't be a growing Christian and have a cynical heart at the same time. It's impossible. And just repent of it and then try to figure out along the way how you can become more like a child. Some of you are more interested in how not being taken advantage of than becoming like a little child. Stop. You will be taken advantage of. I'm not saying you open up your heart to everybody the same way you do. I'm just saying you need some wisdom and discernment along the way to figure that out. Okay? But the Holy Spirit will help you. But if in your heart you know you're a little jaded, or a little cynical, this is your moment to just go, God, I don't know how I got here, but I'm stopping it. And I don't want to be blindsided by this anymore. I'm going to make 2019 the year I actually become more like a little child and connect with you on a deeper level. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to give you about uh, 20, 30 seconds to just talk to the Lord.
God, part of going deep and wide with you is being honest. And this topic today um, is relevant. It's needed. And we don't want to become like the writer of Ecclesiastes. We want to be like a little child. And you're going to have to help us through wisdom and discernment and the leading of your Holy Spirit. You're going to have to help us to figure out what does that look like at home? What does it look like at work? What does it look like in community? What does it look like every single place that we interact with? But we want to have a soft and pliable and fleshy heart. For such is the kingdom of God. So help us today, would you please? And help us to go out this week filled with hope. And when we interact with people to say, you know what? God believes in them. I think I'll believe in them too. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.